<laughs> hey guys, we are back. Welcome to Rankable episode 44. I'm your host as usual, Jared Thomas, Senior Account Executive at iPool Rank. And we've got a great, great episode lined up for you guys today. So today's topic is gonna be about audience development, right? So I know you guys hear about us talking about uh, talk about audience development a lot, and really what are the power of personas and audience segmentation. And we've got the perfect guest to, to give us some insights about this. So this brother right here has over 15 years of experience in the industry and is an award-winning audience development expert, right? Journalist and future author. In, 20, in 2006, he won the award for Independent Press Association for his work uncovering the law that allowed phone companies in New York State to charge families of inmates exorbitant rates for phone calls, right? So also in 2013, he was also named one of the top audience development managers in the country. He's worked for companies such as Interactive One, Black Enterprise, CBS, and is currently the deputy audience director at the New York Times. I'd like to introduce our brother, friend of the show, Claudio Cabrera, man. How are you, brother? Thank you for joining. Appreciate you, brother, man. I've been following you on um, on LinkedIn for a while now. So, you know, just grateful to have the opportunity and see someone else in the space you know, that's, that, that's, you know, a brother as well. Right. Um, so just, just happy, just happy to see you, happy to be here and, you know, happy to, you know, just, you know, converse. That's it, brother. We, we, we're glad to have you, man. This is one I had circled on the calendar for a while, man. And I appreciate all the love that you've shown and support, man. That's how it's supposed to be. Right. We, we don't know each other, you know, but everything, we, everything here is organic. That's what I want people in the mm -hmm. audience to know, man. This is organic. This is real love, man. And I'm super appreciative brother. But, um, but let's let's jump into it, man. We'd love to kind of you know start off with you know how'd you get into industry? Like really, where did you discover your passion for journalism, right? Because yeah. I would love to, you know know about the story about you know how you uncovered the law for the phone, you know, for the inmates because that's a, a topic that resonates with me, you know. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, when I was um when I was in high school, I was big at playing ball, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, I had a few ACL injuries, so I tore my ACL a few times, so that kind of like destroyed that dream. Um, but while I was in high school, I was just kind of like, you know, like messing around, playing around, not really like paying attention to grades and stuff like that. Yeah. So what ended up happening is that I went to, um, I went to, you know, I started applying at all these like big schools that I knew I wasn't going to get into, you know what I mean? And essentially I didn't get into them. And my guidance counselor was like, well, like, you know, you haven't done well in high school, you're going to have to press reset. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up going to this um, community college called Westchester Community College. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I got there, I was a little down because I had like this perception of community colleges. I was like, I'm not where I want to be, you know, but it was really kind of the best thing that happened to me because when I got there, you know, a lot of my boys were going to that school. And essentially, I was just like, when I got there, I was like, yo, what you majoring in? And they were like, oh, I'm majoring in business. And I'm like, all right, I'm majoring in business too. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. Like I was just stuck on playing ball. Yeah. Um, and maybe like a year and a half in, I was, and I was taking a ton of like, you know, electives. Right. And a yeah. ton of the core courses and stuff like that. And there was one English teacher that she was like, Oh, like, you know, like you're doing really good on these papers. Like you should try to join the school newspaper or some shit. Right. Well, I could curse. We're great. So, um, you know, I was like, ah, oh, you know, whatever, I'll do it. You know, because at that point I was like, my goal, honestly, when I got to college was, I knew I wanted to graduate on my own, but it was really more for my parents. Because I felt at that point, like they put in, they yeah. like invested in me so much um, right. that I was like, you know what, I, I got to graduate. Like I have to 100% graduate. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I said, all right, let me do that. And then I started working at the school newspaper and it just started working out. Like, and I was like, okay, like, cool. Like, I don't 
I didn't love it per se, but I was like getting to that point, right? Like I was like, yeah. all right, like I'm seeing myself do good. I'm seeing myself get positive feedback, you know, whatever. And then after um, after I left there, I I, um, I transferred to Brooklyn College to finish my, my four year. Yeah. Uh, and then when I got to Brooklyn College, I, I was majoring in journalism and I was able to get a ton of internships. Um, I, it really started off with me going to like, uh, the courts in Brooklyn on like assignments. Like they were like, all right, go cover this court case. And I'm like, this sounds boring as hell, right? Uh, <laughs> let me do it. It's, it's my it's my schoolwork, right? I got to do it. Yeah. And, um, then I interned for a historic black newspaper in Harlem called the New York Amsterdam News. And the best thing about the New York Amsterdam News for me was that you know, I got there and it, and it almost felt like I had the same feeling when I got to Westchester. I was like, but in a different way, I was like, oh, this is like a small place. Like, it's not the Times, it's not the Journal, it's not the yeah. Daily News, it's not the Post, right? So I was like, I was like, nah, whatever, but I get the opportunity, right? So like, I remember they were like, all right, you're going to go on assignment and cover the mayor's race. And I looked at them crazy, like me, the mayor's race? Uh, this was like 2005 when Bloomberg first ran out here. And yeah. um and I was literally sitting next to Bloomberg. And then there were times I was sitting next to like Al Sharpton and stuff. And in my head, like I'm 37 now, I was like maybe, what was I, like 22, 21? Mm. I was like, oh shit, like the fuck? Like I'm sitting next to all these like, people <laughs> that I never thought I was sitting next to at this age. You know what I mean? So um, I was like, okay, cool. And then I got to go to Knicks games for free, like cover them obviously, but go for free. And I'm like, damn, like this has a lot of perks, right? Um, and you know, it just like, I, I, I just remember going to like a conference once. Right. And I had like real, like, I had like an inferiority complex because I went to this conference. I was like, it was probably like 10% black or something. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was just, you know, a ton of white kids that went to like these great, that had these great internships, the, the times, the journal and all mm -hmm. these places. And I remember just going up to one and asking him like, Hey, like, you know, what, um, you know, how many articles have you written, right? Like I was a junior and I think he was like either a sophomore or junior. Yeah. And he was like, nah, I haven't written any. And at that point I written like a hundred, right? Mm -hmm. so like, at that point is when it kind of turned for me because I was like, damn, like, you know, while he has an internship at this very glittery place, um, you know, for me, I was like, but I got more experience than him. So in my head, I'm like, I gotta be a better writer than him because yeah. I've written a hundred and he's written zero you know, just the numbers, you know, exactly. make sense at that point. Right. So, yeah. you know, um, that's really kind of how it started for me. And then when I was there, um, this was like in the fax era. So they were like fax things, things to us, like all these like news alerts and stuff like that. Yeah. There was one story about families in New York state that were getting charged a lot of money to receive phone calls from family members who were imprisoned. Right. So essentially yeah. like if you were, if you had someone in jail that wanted to call you, like that rate would be like $20 a minute, like a crazy yeah. number. And obviously the majority of people that are in prison come from like poverty. So it just doesn't make sense, right? It's just like a total abuse of the system. And um, so I was covering that and that was like 2006. And I think maybe like about three years ago, just to show you how long you know stuff takes, I think the law changed about three years ago or four years ago to not charge families those exorbitant rates, right? So that's really how I got my start in it. Um, and that's, you know, how it's been since, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing, man. But how, how did you felt, how did you feel initially when, 
you know, like what kind of feedback did you get? Did you get any feedback from the families that did it? Like, like once again, like that story resonates with me because I, you know, I come from, yeah, you know, yeah. I know a lot of friends that did go yeah. to, they had to deal with that with their family. I had to pay some of these exorbitant prices. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I feel you. Phone call, and it's like, that's crazy, man. So you actually made an impact on the community. That, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, it was so long ago that I probably don't even remember. Like, I, I still have the article with me, but I don't, I'm not in touch with the individuals that I spoke to, right? That I was able to like kind of quote for the story and the people that were actually being affected. Um, you know, but I'm sure they're, you know, just happy about it, right? Even if they don't have a person. Just being heard. Just being heard, right? Because a lot of the time we just don't. And especially where we come from, you know, like a lot of times our voices, as loud as they can be on certain issues, they don't, they don't, you know, it doesn't penetrate for the people that are trying to make you know, the law or you're trying to like or push the laws. Right. So it was huge to kind of see a victory like that because it was obviously something that, you know, I was a part of, even if I was 1% part of it, that's fine. Right. Um, but there was been so many people that have been really working hard at this for so long and yeah. you know, trying to get this passed is huge. Yeah. That, that's, that's amazing, man. So I, so just, just off of that, I, I can tell, you know, DEI work is, is extremely important to you. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, because you could you tell us a little bit about you know your DEI work that you've done during your career, especially right now at the times and like diversifying the audience and you know yeah. what kind of content you promote for those segments. So kind of walk us through like you know what that experience is like and why is it so important to you? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, I got my start in black media and Latino media. So like my family's from the Dominican Republic, so my first language Spanish, right? So. Um, you know, for me, like I, I worked for bilingual newspapers when I was coming up. I worked for the Amsterdam News when I was coming up. So I've been like, my career is essentially rooted in black media and Latino media. And that's pretty much what I kind of owe my career to, right? Um, so when I, and then I went to Black Enterprise and I went to Interactive One. So like, when you look at my resume, you know, outside of the Times and CBS, it's, it's pure black and pure Latino pubs, right? So you know, when I got to these organizations, right, like the one thing that I really kind of wanted to step in is realize, like, you know, when I got to CBS, I never applied to CBS. They kind of recruited me on LinkedIn. When I got to the Times, they recruited me on LinkedIn. And I think sometimes, like, you know, when you get to these big places, especially as a person of color or like a big place is trying to get you, yeah, you know, you know, obviously a lot of these places are trying to diversify, but a lot of these places also understand that you're a really good talent and they really want you there. And sometimes just kind of think of like, oh, this nice place wants me here, but we don't ever step into the power we have because they're the ones coming after us. I'm not, I, I wasn't, look, I wasn't checking for any of these brands, not like out of like any dislike, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't what it, what it was at the moment. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, if I come here, I need to do this type of work. Right. Like you need to promise me that I could work on, you know, New York Times and Espanol or I can work on diversifying the audience. Right. That was something that I asked before I even got an offer or anything like that. I was like, this yeah. is important to me. If you can make that happen. I'll come here. Right. Uh, but if you can't, then I don't then I don't know, like, I, I guess yeah. where I'm at. You know what I mean? So, exactly. um, you know, I think when you get to. I think a lot of the things, especially as an SEO person, when you get to um, you know publications like these, like CBS and the Times, and when you're working internally, you know, like you like you mentioned, a lot of SEO teams for the most part aren't the most diverse, right? And I've made it my my job to really kind of create a diverse team at the Times because I know it's something that's lacking in the industry as a whole, right? Um, 
But the, but the one thing that I think, you know, I obviously have in my advantage is that, you know, I know all of black media, I know all of Latino media, and there's so many stories that they're publishing that may not surface up to maybe like white editors or white reporters in the newsrooms that, you know, mo most people yeah. work in, right? So I think it's really important for me to be able to say like, oh, this went on in my neighborhood, or this went on in Oklahoma last week, or this happened in Georgia last week, right? And it may not be things that they're noticing because they're not showing up on CNN or MSNBC or Fox or whatever, but it's something that I can say is important. You know, one example I'll give you is when Nipsey Hussle died, right? Yeah. Nipsey, you know, like I think when, you know, people think of, you know, and I'm not saying this about everyone, right? But I think when, you know, I, I think a lot of white folks have like a very top level view of black celebrity, right? So it's like Beyonce, Jay-Z, LeBron. Yeah. Right? Like it's that, right? <laughs> it's like they may not know who Yo Gotti is. They may yeah. not know who Moneybag is. They may not know, who, you know, a lot of these people are, you know what I mean? So like being able to kind of say to them, like, you know, when Nipsey Hussle passed, there were people that knew about him, but they didn't understand, like, they didn't understand that his importance or his, the level of reverence that we had as a community for him was probably just as much for like how he spoke about us and how he spoke to us exactly. than just the music, right? So what I was trying to get across was like, you know, a lot of times when when people think of SEO people, specifically on news publications, you know, they think of SEO people as like, oh, this is trending, you gotta write it, there's a hundred thousand people looking for it, right? And what I really try to like impart on like audience that folks that work at major publishers is that like, you really have to think editorially, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're, if you're a person of color, obviously you wanna like, you know, vouch for a lot of the topics that are important to your community. But overall, you gotta be like, look, like when I pitched Nipsey Hussle, I was like, look, there are millions of people looking for this. Yeah, That's not why I'm telling you to write this. I'm telling you to write this because if you don't write it, you're gonna look like you're missing the boat. You're gonna look culturally, you know, unaware. You know what I mean? So like for me, it's really about like letting them know, like, you know, you don't want to be out of this conversation, right? Even if you don't know who he is, you need to find someone who knows who he is and can write to him intelligently. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a lot of it. And I think, you know, and I think it's with major publishers, you just, you know, at least in my job, just finding different ways, right? Like whether it's editorial, whether it's the ways we, you know, um, promote content that centers around these communities and how we promote it, um, yeah. so, so many different ways that you could kind of do the work. But the but the number one way to really do it is really just kind of, you know, vouch for what's important. You know, absolutely. And, and like even even what you just said was something that was super important, right? Like you had to make that internal pitch in, in, internally, right? And the person who may have been making the final decision on it might have been somebody who had been culturally unaware. But how do you make that, how do you make that business use case aside from like, hey, the clicks and the opportunity yeah. from a perspective? I, I, I think was that was a question, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, I think what's important, yeah. and and and, and, and let me know if it doesn't answer your question. But I think what's important, and I was just on a call about this with with our team yesterday is that like when you and specifically at a news publisher like if you're internal right yeah you have you literally have to gain the respect of every editor in that building right you yeah. almost have to learn every editor in that building i think a lot of the failures of seos that work at news publications is that they take everything to heart right like you're gonna get a ton of no's like i've gotten a ton of no's i've been at the times for five years right but it's really how you react to the no's 
right? That are gonna get you to the yeses. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. so if I'm like, every time you tell me no, I'm beefing with you, they're gonna be like, yo, this dude just wants his ideas to be pushed through and not listening to mine. So like a lot of the times there'll be ideas that I'm like, I really think it's important. Or let's say I think it's moderately important, right? And they're like, nah, I don't wanna do that. I'm like, okay, cool. And sometimes the next day, someone else may ask like, hey, like why didn't we cover Joe Blow or something? And I'm not gonna be the guy that's gonna be like, you see, I told you so. I'm just gonna lay back and be like, yeah, I asked him or I asked her, they ain't do it but now they're gonna do it. And I look at it as a W. But the thing with the thing with editors is that you you have to understand that, that at the end of the day, no matter what you pitch, they're the ones that have to write it and they're the ones that have to agree to it, right? Okay. So I think when you're making that case, you always have to come to, especially when it, like like a topic like Nipsey, you, you have to really tell them like, hey, like, yes, I know there's 80 million people looking for this right now, there's people shocked about this right now. But again, it is culturally important. I am telling you because I know it's culturally important. If you write one article, you know, I'll consider that a victory. They ended up covering it like nonstop, which I thought was a huge thing because it was someone that they were they were, you know, typically unfamiliar with. You know, if some random thing happens to like a, a larger, more popular artist, you know, they wouldn't blink. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. Absolutely right, man. Thanks for that, man. Like I said, like you said, it's picking and choosing your battles. It's picking and choosing your battles, 100%. Picking and choosing, making the right relationships, establishing the right relationships. Like you said, man, you, you catch more you catch more bees with honey than, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. At the absolutely. end of the day, that, that's really what it's all about, man. And in terms of like audience development, right? So I've, I've been in this space for about 10 years. And every time I talk about audience development, because I've dealt with a lot of content st uh, strategy and a lot of content planning, I've always heard the four C's, like community, connection, collaboration, and caring. But what advice would you give to publishers or even brands that are looking to establish better relationships with their audience? Like, what would you recommend for them? You know, I think number one, the most important thing is just kind of, you know, understanding your audience, you know, the, the core audience that you currently have, right? And what they're consuming and what they like and what they like you know, reading about and things like that, but also really kind of leaning into the audiences that you don't have, right? And right. really understanding who they are, who they are. And if this is an audience that from like, and I, and I don't want to say like, from an editorial standpoint, uh, that there's things that you can cover that's going to be attractive to that audience, right? So every brand is different, right? You're going to have brands that are more so entertainment brands where the whole world is going to click on it, right? Mm -hmm. And then you may have some hard news brands where it's like, they may not cover the story about the dog at Sonic, right? Or, you know, some randomness that may be for another brand, but there are stories that are going to be relevant to certain communities yeah. that they'll be able to cover. So I think what's important is obviously leaning into what you have um, and not taking for granted what you have, specifically in the new subscription business, right? Because you could probably sign up so someone for a $10 subscription a year or whatever it may be. And at that point, you can be like, well, you know, we got them, nothing else to do for them, right? But there's always things that you kind of have to like really implement and really like whether it's like newsletter things or whether it's like freebies or whether it's shareable things that they can do on the web. Um, and then I think for the audiences that you don't have, it's really realizing like, you know, the work is never ending to attract new audiences and the work is never ending to attract diverse audiences, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of brands that within the last year, they've obviously, you know, last year they had a commitment to diversity that may not necessarily be there anymore, right? And then you have those brands that have that, that, that spoke about that type of stuff 
and yeah. are still understanding that it's it's not a like it's not a thing that you come back a year later and say like hey this is what we did we're done no yeah. it's something that you literally like work towards nonstop right and it becomes part of your DNA if it doesn't become part of your DNA then you never really were real about it you know what I mean yeah. so I think it's it's really all about that really engaging what you have but really kind of trying to find out the ways that you know, other audiences are consuming your content and where you can find them and how you could build relationships with the audiences um, that you're looking for and what content that, and what content or what websites they naturally visit. Absolutely. And how like what ways would you attract newer audience that you don't necessarily know about? Right. Like for the audiences that, that do come in the website, you're going to have those metrics. You're going to see where they're spending their time, where mm -hmm. the business going, what the bounce rate looks like, essentially what content they consume so you could deliver more of it and make it personalized mm -hmm. and attract them and retain them, right? So, but what about the audience that you don't know? Like what kind of research goes into that? Yeah, I mean, I think with the audiences that we don't know, I mean, it's always a matter of like, I think, you know, it's case by case, right? Because with a publisher like The Times, you know, there are audience, yes, yeah, super broad, right? There's, it's a global publisher. There's gonna be those like, you know, things we know or, or audiences that we're like, you know what, like we should have more of a presence here, but it may not necessarily fit with like the editorial strategy that they currently have at the moment. Mm -hmm. also, at the same time, it's like, all right, like we want to grow in Asia, but do we have reporters in every country in Asia? If we don't, yeah. are we going to have more reporters in, in, in this country, in these countries within the next six months? If it's no, then it's like, all right, we got to shift, right? Like there's things yeah. that we could potentially do, but you also have to look at it from a resource perspective, right? Because I think, with the Times in general, the Times isn't really like an aggregation house, right? Like they're usually producing original content. And even when they do any level of aggregation, they're always picking up the phone and making that call, right? So they're not necessarily depending on this brand's reporting. They're making sure that they call and, and they get a, you know, a police statement, a statement from this person or that person. So they can say, this is our reporting. Even if it came from someone else, this is our reporting. So I think it really depends on like what the brand's you know, focus is on focus is at the moment. Um, and if you have the resources to really invest in it, then I think you could go all out. I think yeah. if you don't, it's really hard to enter, you know, a foreign market or even, you know, penetrate a local market here in the US if you don't really have, you know, the resources on the ground to actually cover that market in the way that you want to. Absolutely. And, and authenticity is a big part of that, right? If you're, if you're faking it, you know, if you don't know anything about the topic or you're faking it or you feel like you're just entering this market for a specific cause and not really know the cause or care about the cause, it's going to come off in the writing. Yeah, it's, it's sort of the a lot of people in the industry call it parachute journalism. So parachute journalism is sort of like you just you're never there, but you suddenly show up when something bad happens. Right. Exactly. So it's, it's really just kind of like that's always going to happen, but really kind of limiting the amount of times it does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I'm curious too, like for, for publishers, um, you know, I, I speak with a lot of publishers on, on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. And I'm curious, like from an audience development strategy standpoint, like what are some strategies they should, or publishers should avoid and what are the best practices for a segment in that audience? Um, strategies that publishers should avoid. I mean, I think. Is there like any black hat type stuff that's going on there? Like, I'm just curious. It's hard. I mean, I, I think, you know, for the times, you know, the majority of the publishers that we are kind of looking at, mm -hmm. you know, probably don't engage in that type of stuff, right? Like they, they keep it pretty clean, I would say. Yeah. Um, I think when you're talking about like things that they shouldn't engage in, I probably just get to the content level, right? And yeah. I think from a content perspective, it's really more so about just, you know, when when you when you kind of go out of your space just to get clicks, 
and you're not consistent about staying in that space, then you know your 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 readers can kind of censor, right? So you're gonna have those in and out folks, right? So I think you really want to be clear about, you know, what type of editorial strategy that you're really trying to drive. Um, I think that's number one. And number two, I would say really just kind of from like, really just kind of, you know, I think when people think about SEO, they're like, all right, what can we do here to really get this story to do well, right? But I really think a lot of times, like a lot of brands just have a really they don't have a workflow. They don't have a process, right? Like in terms of like how they're going to tackle search, you know, how their how their editors are going to interact with the SEO team and all those other things. So I think really just kind of getting to the basics from a search perspective is going to be huge, but also from an editorial level, really kind of understanding who you are. Um, even if your mandate is to get more clicks, really just trying to be careful about how you try to go after those. Absolutely, absolutely. And I've always I heard this from a journalist friend: like every click isn't a good click. Every click isn't a good click, 100%. I mean, there's things that I know we can write and get a million clicks for, but I'm also like, is this us, right? And and by pitching something that is not us, that kind of makes you look crazy. So it's really about, again, to what I to what I started with, it's really about understanding who is your audience and really making sure that you're protecting yourself when you're kind of pitching things to editors. Absolutely. And you know, you know, it was one piece that the Times put out that I loved. It was actually just came out a few weeks ago, the interactive for the Black Wall Street. Did you, did Street? Yeah, it's also it's also yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness, man. That was that was amazing. Did you have any hand in that, man? Because I, um, I so from my SEO Yeah, from my SEO perspective, I mean like when you're looking at things like Juneteenth and even like the Tulsa, the anniversary for Tulsa, um, you know, in terms of like building that interactive, I didn't have any hand in it because that's not like my skill set. But in yeah. terms of like really working with the team from an SEO perspective and kind of preparing them for like, hey, like this is how we should kind of do it. This is when we should publish it. You know, should we have like any uh, should we have any additional like articles on it to kind of target different types of searches? Yeah. Um, but obviously it was it was all of them and they did a fantastic job just really kind of digging into that and really kind of recreating the scene uh, because that's something I've never seen. Like really you hear about it. You know about the amount of businesses that that went through that, but you never know like what was on this block or what was on that street. You know what I mean? And to attach a family and a person to that street, a hundred. That, that was the powerful thing, right? Because then it makes you think about like your ancestry, like my ancestry. You know yeah. what I mean? Like mm -hmm. what happened in that time? What would have happened if that massacre didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like know that we were thriving in that regard in 1940s, you know, and look at us now today in 2021 and some of the things like the social injustice issues that we're, we're dealing with. It's, it's kind of crazy, right? So, you know, I, you know, I, I know a big thing for me, you know, is, is representation, right? Yep. You know, I think we, we had this conversation before we started, man, like the big thing for us. And I love the fact that you're wearing a hat. I love the fact that you're being authentic, man, because once again, when we came in the industry, there wasn't that. Yeah. There wasn't any of that. You know what I mean? It wasn't, you might have a, a, a black person or African-American professional that's here. You might have five out of a room of a hundred, right? Yeah. And now we're starting to see those same people like you and I who were in that space and now they're getting promoted. And yeah. now they're, they're moving up in the ranks, mm -hmm. they're telling their story in a more authentic way, right? So I'm curious too, like what, what, how do you balance that? Or from, from your perspective, like how do you balance your, you know, the professional and as well as like your online reputation? Like some things that, you know, that you may want to speak about like the George Floyd, um, you know, incident yeah. or anything like that, that that evolves around some of those social issues. Mm -hmm. do, you, are, do you try to toe the line? Do you, are you just your authentic self? Do you like, how do you balance that, especially working for who you work for? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think for me, you know, and I think that's, 
you know, when you work at a major publisher, right, you're obviously, you know, as a person of color, you're going to be in the minority, right? You know, there's plenty of black folk at the times, there's plenty of Latinos at the times, Asians, et cetera. But, you know, everything that happens within there and everything that happens external, everyone's going to have a different opinion on, right? So like, you know, there's things that I've talked about that people may be like, oh, you know, oh shit, Claudio talked about this. Like, I would have never expected it, right? And there's things that I haven't talked about that may have not hit me in the same way, or I may have had a different opinion about that people be like, oh shit, Claudio ain't talk about this. You know what I mean? So like, I think every person is different and every person is gonna handle things differently, right? For sure. You know, and it really depends on that individual, right? I think, you know, as a person of color, I don't think anyone on earth is gonna say that they just kind of go all out and say whatever they want, right? Like, it's just kind of how it is when you're working for a corporation, right? But I think when you're seeing something that you feel is completely wrong, if you're able to really kind of share it and articulate it in a way that you feel is, you know, kind of like really telling how you feel emotionally, I think it's personally fine, right? Like, you know, I think when you start at any company, it could be any type of company, you're always going to have that fear of saying something, right? Especially online, like, damn, should I say this? I'm brand new here. But I think as you grow and I think as you gain more confidence in yourself and whatever stature you have at that place, you know, now it's more like, you know, I'll be on Twitter being like, yo, I don't see nobody that look like me out here, you know, like at a major publisher doing SEO. Right. And, you know, like I'm really I'm really committed to that and really just kind of making sure that people. Again, like we were talking before, and and and, I, and it's it's funny because I was like, yo, I ain't trying to flex, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't like trying to say like, oh, I'm the only black guy running an SEO team at a major publisher, Journal, Post, CNN, whatever. Um, and even if it sounds like a flex, the reality is, nah, it's a shame, you know what I mean? Like, it's like there should be more of us on SEO teams. There should definitely be more of us running SEO teams. Absolutely. You know, so it's really just kind of, you know, it may it may. It may connect with a person in that way, but at the end of the day, it's really just like, yo, like, you know, when we started, there was almost zero representation. Right? Um, and you work for one of the legends in the game, and Michael, you know what I mean? Um, and now we've seen more, but it's just not where it needs to be, you know what I mean? That that's it, man. You hit the nail on the head, man. But like, that's why I, I'm grateful and appreciative for the position I'm in now, right? The fact that I am for a black-owned business, I don't have to deal with the red tape necessarily. Me and Mike had a conversation. I think I just posted that like a couple of days ago because I asked the Tavio Chantel. Shout out to Chantel. Shout out Queen. Um, but she asked the Tavio the similar question I just asked you as far as like how do you balance both your professional reputation and your personal reputation, especially being a CEO? And he just was flat out, look, there's very little balance between that. They're the same person. If I don't, if they, if I keep it very close together, then I don't have to fake to be somebody else. I'm not, you know, I'm just going to be my, be my authentic self. And I had that conversation with Mike when I first came here and I was like, Mike, I've been through the ringer. I've been through corporate. I've been through this. I was, I've been fired for asking for zoom info. I've been like, like crazy, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I perform in most places. And I just told the man, like, I, I just want to be myself. And he said, go for it. Mm-hmm. Be yourself. And once I got that confidence, and you just said something that was also real, it was like, if somebody's going to look at this, your hat, your hoodie, the shirt, yeah. I got a DMX shirt on, and if they're thinking about that, chances are they aren't going to do business with you anyway. So why are you even focusing on that particular segment of audience? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Like, I'm just like, you know, I was, like we talked about, you, you'll see like developers, engineers walk in and whatever. 
And I'm yep. just like, all right, like, why can't I do that? And I think as people of color, sometimes we feel like we need to show up in like the grandest way, right? And sometimes I'm just like, nah, I worked my ass off for a long time. Like, if I want to wear a hat on a Zoom call, I'm going to wear a hat. And that's just that. And like, if, if you got an issue with it, you just got to let me know. That's all it is, really, because it makes like, I've done so much. Like, what you gonna you gonna be mad about a hat? You know what I mean? So it's exactly. No, know your value and know what we bring yeah. to the table is how we change the narrative. How we change the narrative, exactly. So how we change the narrative. You know, we can be this, and I I preach it to the top of the mountains on LinkedIn every day. You know, be yourself, be authentic. You don't have to be the dude with the button-up shirt to do business. I've done more business and had more connections looking like this mm -hmm. than I ever had trying to fake the funk and use the phone voice and hey, I'm Jared and not. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I used to be that guy. <laughs> no, it's a hundred percent real, and I know, like, you know, I know a hundred percent. Like, there's been people that have seen me on some Zoom calls for the first time, and I'm not talking about at the times. So I'm even talking external, right? Like, I, I think at the time, you know, they don't really care. Um, but I think external, there's probably been some people that have been like, you know, this is the guy that ran SEO at the times. You know, I'm sure. You know, like with a hat on and all this other stuff, and I'm just like, whatever. See, that's, yeah. that's the gift and the curse of it, though, right? Because yeah. part of that plays in the back of our mind. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like come on. Yeah. It's yeah. there. But it's also like, you know, it's also like if you're focused on that, you're focused on the wrong thing. Wrong things, yeah. yeah. That's key. That's a major key and a rankable moment, bro. And I, and I didn't realize we was we was going a little over, man. I didn't want to keep you longer, but I do want to say, Claudia, thank you, brother, for coming in and joining me. Thank you for sharing your story, man. I enjoyed this conversation thoroughly, man. And you know, everybody on our side, man, we're big fans of you. We're going to continue to work with you. And there's anything we could do, man. I know we're going to be in touch. I owe you a cold one someday, you know. <laughs> I got you, brother. But thank you again, man. It's a pleasure. And no you know, worries. we're going to connect. Appreciate you, brother. And, and best of luck with the show. I'll continue tuning in, bro. Thanks again, brother. And for everybody who's watching, we've got one more episode left before we take a little break. We're taking a break from all, uh, July to August, man, because I, I need to go see some sun and I need to be on the beach <laughs> with a computer. But, but we've got next week, we've got an influencer marketing um, episode with Anton Shoki from SEMrush. It's going to be a really good one. Then we come back in August. We got Jeff Clanigan, CEO of Laugh Out Loud. We got a few other people, some good, good announcements, man. I might be able to work on some stuff. I'm working on a, a very special one for the Olympics. I don't want to tilt my hand too much, but uh, it's going to be some good stuff, guys. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you for the support. We love you guys, man. And Claudia, my brother, always love, man. And love, love, brother. Keep shining, man. Yes, sir. Let's do it, brother. And see, have a great weekend all, man. We see you guys next week.